So this morning we begin um, thinking about this all invited thing, and we're going to do. Um, we're going to. I'm going to be preaching during this series, and Mario preaches one message during uh, in the easiest book of Scripture that um, is so simple to preach and understand, the Book of Revelation. So get ready for you know the you know simple 101 sort of stuff. That's what this this whole series is. Actually, this I, I can tell you that this message this morning, um, not in terms of difficulty of the message that I want to bring, but in terms of study and understanding what it was that God wanted me to bring to you, was perhaps one of the most difficult messages that I've had in years uh, because of the complexity of the text. But I'm going to tell you, um, I'm going to tell you what happened this week that made me believe that God wants me to preach this text. And if you look at the text, even right now, it's uh, Revelation chapter 6, um, you're going to see, like, you're going to wonder what in the world is El Grisma going to talk about this morning? Because it's crazy text. And I looked at it on Monday of this week, and I thought to myself, uh, literally I thought to myself, what was I thinking when I planned this? I planned this about uh, six, eight weeks ago. I planned this series and I had put down and written down all the different texts that I felt like God was calling me to preach on and with this theme of all invited. And um, I had in my notes Revelation chapter 6, 9 through 17. And so I began to look at the text and I'm like, there had to be a reason why God put this on my heart. Okay, um, you know, I guess I'll do some thinking about it. And man, this is hard and man, this is this is weird because it's weird. There's like blood and death and earthquakes and strange things, stars falling from heaven. You know, if you look, especially the previous seals that, that get open, you have all these horses coming out and riders and what's this all about? But I thought, okay, Lord, I, I think you've given me this, so I'm going to do it. And so um, I actually had to take a drive on Monday, as I often do. I had to take my son to, to soccer. And as I was driving, um, I was thinking about this text. I had read it already and done a little bit of work on it, but I hadn't done much. And as I was uh, driving, God really gave me some things. And he started to line it up in some ways. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I can see it, Lord. I can see what it, the message that you want me to bring. So this is the text. Yeah, absolutely. I'll preach this text and I'll put it together. So then on Tuesday, uh, I did some more stuff. And then on Wednesday specifically, I was doing a ton of writing on this message and doing a bunch of study. And then for whatever reason, I flipped over the page. And if you're out in Revelation chapter 6, flip over the page to chapter 7. And you look at 9 and 17, 9 through 17 there. And that text to me makes sense. In fact, what I realized in my notes, I had written down the wrong text. And I started all my study and all my preparation on the wrong text. And I had done by that time three quarters of my sermon on the wrong text. But God had given me all these things, so I guess you want me to preach this text, Lord. So this morning you are going to get an unplanned message of God. At least not in my mind. Which, if it's an unplanned message of God from my mind, that means hopefully, Lord willing, it's a message of God from his mind. So I want to preach this text next week. We're going to get to Revelation chapter 7, 9 through 17. This morning, we're going to spend time in Revelation 6, 9 through 17. And as you read it, you're going to say, like I did, Whoa, Nelly. Does anybody know the person who says, Whoa, Nelly, the best? Who says that the best? Mike? Keith Jackson. Keith Jackson. If you don't know who Keith Jackson is, 
Keith Jackson is a sports announcer. I believe it's for ABC. I could be wrong. Might be CBS. And he announces college football. And for years and years, Keith Jackson was the voice of the Southeastern Conference football and uh, football games. So he announced like Alabama, Tennessee, Georgia, all those sorts of games. And if you listen to Keith Jackson's uh, commentary, eventually you would hear him say somehow, somewhere, whoa, Nelly. Does that sound familiar to any of you who watch football before? When he said it, it was distinctive and it became his catchphrase. Well, let me tell you, when I opened Revelation chapter 6, it didn't take long for me to become Keith Jackson. Whoa, Nelly. Friends, hang on to your hats. Because here's some of God's word. Now, understand, chapter 6 is about the seals. And there's a total of seven seals. And we're going to start when he begins to open the fifth seal. If you look at the fourth seals, four seals before that, there's a lot of crazy stuff that is already going on. But then the crazy stuff really starts to happen in verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar... The souls of those who have been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. Now, friends, when we're getting into the book of Revelation, we need to understand that this is what we call apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic is, just as it sounds, about the apocalypse. The apocalypse means the end times. What is the end of the story of God? And so as we read this, we read this through the lens of apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic literature is full of symbols. It's full of things that represent other ideas or other epochs or other eras of life. And so as we read, there's things that you might hear, that you might see in the text, that you might wonder, well, what does that mean? Is that literal or is that symbolic? So much of this is symbolic. And the challenge is that much of the symbolism is certainly up for big debate. In fact, if I have, uh, since I have so many, um, I have lots of commentaries on my, on my uh, shelf in my office. If I read commentaries about Revelation, you will get many different interpretations of the symbols of the text. My goal for this series and for teaching this this morning is for us to understand what specifically God has for us today. Not outside in the future, not thinking about the past and revelation to the past, but about today. What is it for today? And as we look at this portion, 9 through 11, they have this in their, uh, we hear this coming from the people who have been, these are martyrs for the faith. They say, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Folks, these are, these are fellow believers who are saying, come Lord Jesus. Come now, end all this craziness in the world. End pain and end suffering. How long will you tarry, Lord? Does anyone have that prayer? I mean, there are times when I look at some of the things. You saw some of the the horrible scenes of those fires up north and certainly over west of us. 
You see places of war in the world. You see some of the strife that we experience as a culture in our world. And I don't know about you, but there's certainly times when I join along with these people, these servants of God, and saying, how long, Lord, are you going to wait to finish this thing up? Because these people have suffered for it. They've suffered so much that they were killed for their faith. They were killed because they were willing to stand up and, what's the word that is used? Give testimony about God. Certainly, many in this room, I think, have that same prayer. I know of senior saints who are tired, and they're sick, and they're weak, and they're lonely, and they pray, how long, O Lord? I know that there are people in challenging relationships and difficult circumstances who pray, how long, Lord, will I have to be patient until you come and make all things new? There are people who look at our culture and our world filled with the conflict and filled with much of the dialogue and the vitriol that people spew out of their mouths and say, how long, Lord, will it be until you come bring your judgment and bring your peace? I was thinking that actually this week. On Monday after I had uh, done some thinking about this sermon that surprised me and God gave me some stuff, I opened my Facebook when I got to Troy's practice. I opened my Facebook because I have to sit and watch him practice for a little bit. And the first thing that came up on my Facebook that day was a post by a girl named Nicole. Nicole is a former youth group kid of mine. Um... She actually is not much younger than I am. She was in my first class in youth ministry. She was a senior when I started as a youth pastor, and so she graduated almost immediately, but I did become close with her, and we prayed together about some stuff, and we lived life together, and she would come back and visit her parents from college and got to know her and certainly loved her, loved her family, worked with her dad, who was an elder in the church, and um, her mom was did a whole bunch of art stuff around church and just loved the family. Nicole had just posted this. She had waited to get married until she was 38 years old, so just a couple years ago. And she had waited for God to bring her a godly man, wonderful man named... Uh, <coughs> excuse me, named Greg. I've never met Greg, but he's a godly man and loves Jesus. And so since they had gotten married late, they didn't wait to have children. After some stuff, it took, so it took a while for them to get pregnant. They did get pregnant um, just over a year ago. And her post on Facebook was this. Our hearts are broken. We came back from our camping trip and we laid little Amelia down to sleep. And this morning when we went in, she didn't wake up. The child died. And Nicole and Greg, of course, are heartbroken. In fact, after I read that, I was weeping with them. Why in the world would a 14-month-old child for a couple who had waited forever for one die during her sleep? And I think about Nicole and Greg, and I pray along with them, how long, Lord, come quickly, come redeem this. Nicole desperately wants to see her daughter again, to hold her in her arms in the presence of Jesus. Come, Jesus, come fix this and make it new. So then the question that we have in moments like that is, why in the world then does God wait? 
Why does he wait? Why do we have this stuff? Why war? Why AIDS? Why pornography? Why child slavery? Why cancer? Why the evil? The problem of evil. Why doesn't God come? We know he can come. And when he comes, he's going to make all things new. And he's going to redeem it all. Why in the world is he waiting? And I think it's actually in this text. I think he's waiting because God loves his kids too. What does it say in the text? It says it right at Verse 11, it says, Then each of them was given a white-rolled robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters in Christ, were killed just as they were. And we're thinking, oh, God wants to wait until more people die. Like, what in the world, God? Seriously? Is this what it is that you want to do? You want to wait until more people are dead before you come back and redeem this all? But here's the thing. There's a reason why God wants those people to be around and to live until they're dead. Because what do they do while they're living? They give what? What does it say? They give testimony. And what is a testimony? A testimony is someone with their life proclaiming to all the world so that the world might hear Jesus. Here is my testimony. And martyrs especially have the courage in moments of severe strife, of conflict, of imprisonment, even persecution and torture, being willing to say, no matter what it is that happens to me, still, Jesus. And that has power, friends. It has power to tell the world who Christ is so that others might know him. Testimony is the power of us as God's people being willing to say to the world, Jesus, so that in the hearing they might come be able to even whisper to Jesus. I want that. I want what they have. I want that courage. I want that power. I want that hope that is strong enough to even take you into moments where you're persecuted or even executed for your faith. I want that because my life doesn't have that courage, doesn't have that hope, doesn't have that life, doesn't have that love. God wants to be patient because he wants more of his kids in his family. And here's the thing, God's never going to stop wanting that. I'm here to tell you, friends, if you don't know Jesus this morning, if you don't know him, and I certainly have every reason to believe that some of us don't, if you don't know Jesus, but God has moved in your heart and in your life, some haste, some way, somehow, at some moment, it means that he has said, I care about you. Here's the thing about God. C.S. Lewis described God in this way. He said, he is the hound of heaven who will not stop pursuing you until he catches you. 
God is the hound of heaven. If you are here in this place this morning, if you have experienced God's presence somehow, some way, God's truth somehow, some way in your life, it means that God has marked you with his spirit enough to say, you matter to me. And here's the thing, friends, listen to me. He's not going to stop coming after you. Because he is that hound of heaven. Which we all say this. We go, oh good. That means God's going to get more people for his kingdom. You go God. But here's the challenge. Listen to me. Keep walking here. We'll get there. All right. We'll get there. Listen to me. What does God call us? God uses a lot of words for us as followers of him. But one of them is this. It's ambassadors. You ever heard that word before about who God has made us to be? Ambassadors, right? And if we are ambassadors of God, what does an ambassador do? It represents the one who they're an ambassador for. The ambassador for the United States to England represents the United States when they go and speak with the king or the prime minister, whoever's in charge. They represent God. So if C.S. Lewis represents God as this hound of heaven who chases down those whom he will not let go of and we are ambassadors of God, then what are we? What are we, friends? We're part of the pack. We're part of the pack. We're on the prowl with God. We're following the hound of heaven at his heels, pursuing those whom he would love because we want to say, oh God, you go get them. And God says, okay, I'm going to go get them. Come on. Let's go. Come along with me. You be the one to show them Jesus. You be the one to what? Give testimony. Share the light and the life and the love and the hope and the grace of Jesus Christ in their life. And if I'm a hound of heaven who doesn't give up, then what are you? A hound of heaven who doesn't give up. Now, I know what some of you are saying. You're saying, Pastor Scott, I've invited people. I invited a person to church once and they didn't come. What am I supposed to do? I did my job. Well, think about it this way. I was 18 years old when I accepted Jesus. I had gone to church my entire life up until that point, which means that if, and since my family, my family was a holy family who went to church twice every Sunday, all right? That's what we did. We, we did the holiness stuff, making sure we did everything right. We went to church twice every Sunday. I think we missed a couple in there, and I certainly had other things going on. So I'll say that I attended 80 services a year between 0 and 18. You start to do the math and you come up with just over a thousand sermons that I heard. Okay? Now, Reverend Kunst, Reverend Dirksen, and Reverend Loss weren't very good preachers. Sometimes they hit it, most of the times they didn't. I'm going to say I listened to 200 good sermons. Okay? I listened to 200 good sermons in 18 years of all those sermons. That means that it took me 200 times of hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ to understand it finally for the first time in some way, somehow, some, uh, some sort of form that made sense to me. So if you say to me, Pastor Scott, I've invited someone to church and they didn't come, perhaps you are on step 136 of 424 that that person needs in order to understand who Jesus is. 
Are you willing to be 127 and 128 and 129? Hound of heaven. What does a hound do? Keep going. Don't stop. Don't give up. Because God never does. That's what we do, friends. If we love Jesus, then we love those he loves and he loves his other kids. Then it gets messy. 12 through 14. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the sky fell to earth as figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up. And every mountain and island was removed from its place. Things get crazy. And we look at that and say, why, God, does there need to be all that destruction in the end? Why does there need to be destruction? Well, really quickly, I want you to turn right to the front of your Bibles. Genesis chapter 3, and I want you to hit verse 17. If someone's got it, stand up and read it as loud as you can. Genesis 3, verse 17. Somebody willing? Thank you, sister. We even got it from the King James. You can hear the voice of God, right? (laughs) Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you eat food from it. So, man and woman sin. Adam and Eve sin. And God curses the serpent. We looked earlier. God curses the serpent. You're going to be on the ground. God curses the woman. Sorry, childbirth's going to be tough. Deal with it, unfortunately. And then he says to man, you're going to have a hard time too. But you're going to have a hard time, man, because I'm going to curse everything else. I'm going to make it hard for you to live. I'm going to make you sweat. I'm going to make you bleed. I'm going to make thorns there to catch you. I'm going to make your everything that you do hard so that you're going to have to sweat for it. That means that all of nature, all of creation has had to ingest the curse of sin. We wonder why earthquakes. We wonder why stars falling from heaven. But remember, God created everything in chapter 1 of Genesis 1 and said at the end of every day, what did he say? He said, it was good. But then all of a sudden, it ain't good no more because it's cursed. So to move from good to cursed means death, means destruction, means pain and toil for mankind and all of humankind. And now all of a sudden, at the end of the story, God is saying, I'm going to take sin out now. I'm going to redeem everything from the curse of sin. You think that's going to be easy? It's going to take destruction to do it. God at the end of things is taking out of sin of all things because if we're living in the new heavens and the new earth, in the new heavens and the new earth, there's no more tears. There's no more sorrow. 
There's no more pain. There's no more suffering. And that means that everything that is a curse needs to be removed from creation. And in order to do that, it takes that level of destruction of God coming in and saying, if I'm going to make this thing new, I'm almost, and that's what we're seeing here, a recreation of the earth. A recreation of all things in order to rid us from the curse. And now things get pressing. Verses 15 through 17. And the king of earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can withstand it? Now you notice right at the beginning of that section who is mentioned, kings of the earth, princes, generals, rich, mighty, and then we get everyone else. Why would those be specifically named? And I believe that it is absolutely key that those who are in power and positions of authority understand that when God comes to judge, he judges those to whom he has given much to be judged for. You've been given many talents and abilities. Those who lead, those who are in a position of authority, those who have a level of power, those who have a level of wealth that can be measured significantly because we know that wealth has power. God says, be, be wise, be discerning, be Christian, serve the poor, care for the widowed and the orphan. Give the clothing to those who are naked. Go to visit the sick and those who are in prison. True religion. And the problem is, and we certainly know this from the world that we live in, so many of the folks in power are not seeking justice. And they're not seeking care and love for others. And when Christ comes again, those will be convicted the most. But here's the thing, friends. I have position, I have power, and I have authority. I need to be wise. This is about me as it is about anyone in Washington. This is about me as much as it is about anyone in City Hall or in Sacramento. This is about anyone who has a place or a position, and so many of us do. And if we have that place and a position at the front of a classroom, as the leader of a business, as a director, as a supervisor, as a whatever, as a person who needs in our communities in any way, shape, or form than for us to lead with justice and with love for others because eventually, if we don't, and the end comes, we will sit there and be confronted by our own sin because there's a schedule and there's a deadline and the end is coming this image of hiding that we see here in this part of the text is powerful. And there's a sense that people know their own guilt and rue the day when all secrets are made bare. There's an urgency about God's kingdom and that should fuel us. It should fuel us not only in living into our worlds with justice and love for others and grace for others, but it should also fuel us in being part of the pack of the hound of heaven, in being testimonies of God to the world around us. 
Because the more that we are testimony and we experience God bringing people into the kingdom, the less people who are going to rue that day and want the mountains to fall on them because judgment is coming and they're not ready because they don't know Jesus. For us to be, and this is an appropriate word this, this morning, dogged. Dogged in our love for others enough to be willing to say, let's talk a little bit about Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus in my life. Let's talk about how God has shaped and formed me and how God might be shaping and forming you. Many of you know I have two dogs. One is Kobe, an Australian shepherd. One is Shadow, a black lab, sort of. And um, the backyard is their domain at our house. They just live in the backyard and they take over the backyard. And um, they love it when I barbecue because my barbecue is in the backyard. And so when I barbecue, and often I love a good steak, and I barbecue steak often enough. When it's on special, it's Staters, always. Got to get it on special. I go to Staters and I get a steak, bring it home, have it seasoned up, and I think I make a pretty mean steak. And my dogs think I make a pretty mean steak. And as soon as I go out the back door with that, this thing in my hand, because I light my barbecue with this, as soon as I go out with this thing in my hand, Kobe, who is smarter than I am, my dog is smarter than I am, way far, um, brilliant dog, as soon as she sees this, she realizes it's steak time. And because it's steak time, she drives me absolutely bananas by being on my heels every second. Like, she won't move. And I get mad. I get mad like, leave me alone, dog. You're not getting any this time. Get out of here. And I'll, you know, like seriously, if you live behind me, you would wonder about my sanity because the conversations I have with my dog that are illogical, like, I told you, you know better. Like, Kobe's looking at me like, I'm a dog, dude. Are you kidding me? <laughs> it's steak. I want steak, right? So then I make the steak, and I like mine medium rare. So I take mine off first. And have a spot and I put it out because what you do, and you don't, if you don't do this, make sure you do, you got to let your steak rest. Steak rest makes for a juicy steak where I'm letting my steak rest. A good 10 minutes just sitting there and I don't mind if it loses a little bit of temperature. It's going to be good. It's going to be awesome. I'm not kidding you. Kobe just camps out, sits down. Kobe, there's, there's a postman over there. Kobe, here's a chew treat. Dog is focused. And then I go out, and my, my wife likes her steak like leather, so I put it on like for an extra 15 minutes. Ruins the steak, but that's between her and Jesus, who gave her the steak. <laughs> so I take it off, and I, I let it rest too. And same thing, dog is just in there. And then I take the steaks inside, because it's time for dinner. We have asparagus. I make potatoes for the rest. I'm on keto right now, so I'm not eating potatoes, but my, my son and my wife like potatoes, so we have some potatoes and asparagus and steak. And where our kitchen table is in our house is right by the back patio door. And where do you think the dogs are? Like, I'm, I swear, Kobe doesn't blink for 25 minutes. Steak, steak. And I always say, I always say this, friends. 
You're not, you're not going to get any this time. You ticked me off when I was barbecuing. You're not going to get any. And sure enough, Kristen says something like, shouldn't you give the dogs the bone? And that woman can ask me for anything, and I'll give it to her. So I take the bones, and I go over. And this is the fun part for me. I take it, and I'm like, want it? <laughs> <laughs> they dog me. I dog them, right? But until that dog gets a stake, it's not done. It doesn't give up. It doesn't lose focus. I want that stake. And I'm not going to give up until I get it. You and I are part of the pack of God, friends. The hound of heaven who has given us a world to be a testimony to. He has given us opportunity. He has given us truth. He has given us the hope of Jesus Christ that we live in if we know that grace. And he says to you and to I now, I want you to be a testimony of me to the world in such a way that people can know who I am. Go be Kobe after a stake. Go be the hound of heaven who never gives up. Go out from this place because the deadline is approaching. We don't know when it is, friends. We may not make it home today. I don't know that's the case. I'm not trying to throw guilt on us, but I am trying to say this is the truth of God's word. And if it's truth of God's word and there is a deadline, then for us to live into that deadline, go out from this place pursuing others for the love of Jesus because we don't want anyone to want a mountain to fall on their head instead of facing the God who loves them. We instead want to be a part of the invitation and say there is a place at the table of God and we invite you to come be a part of that. Let's pray. Father, you have given us the blessing of this invitation in Jesus Christ. You've said to your people, come to me. If you're weary, I'll give you rest. I will prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Come and be a part of the family of God. You said that to us. And many of us, Lord, have responded, but there's some who haven't. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name that you live into your houndedness today, in your pursuit or that you don't let people go. You don't let them walk away from you. You pursue. Pursue even stronger than Kobe and Shadow. Lord, may we understand that we are part of that. And that we are willing to love another enough to continue to go back and say, Christ loves you. I love you. We want you to know what true life is, what hope is, what redemption is, what fullness of everything. Lord, there may not be all the answers that we want, but there's many answers that God gives to us even here and now that can help us understand a little bit the world that we live in. Father, equip us with that courage, courage to go back again and again out of love, to be dogged, but dog it out of love and grace to another so that, Lord, if it be your will, we might be a part of step 126, 127, 128, and, Lord, maybe 
We can even be a part of the end of that stage in the journey and the beginning of the next. Lord, may you equip us to that end with our lives to be about invitation. Lord, we pray these things all in Christ. Amen. Would you please stand?
know somebody who needs Jesus? Do you? Do you like your steak medium rare? Go chase them. Go love them. And don't ever give up on loving them enough that you're not going to share with them Christ. If you and I have the best thing on the planet, there is nothing better than the grace of Jesus, then we have the obligation, then we have the opportunity, then we have the joy to share it with the world doggedly as part of the pack of the hound of heaven. Friends, go from this place knowing that commission to go and do it. And if you don't know Jesus, I'm up here afterwards. I would love to talk to you about the hound who will not let you go. I'm just saying, this story's not an end. You walk out of here, it's not going to end just because you walk out of here. If you want to deal with it now and just get things over with, you're welcome to come up here. Let's talk. Let's pray together. Let's welcome Christ. Friends, go from this place with his blessing. People of the river, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his smile toward you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God's people sit together. Amen. Go in peace.